Welcome to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. I am Luke Edwards, and it's been another action-packed two days of National League action spread out over New Year's Day and the 2nd of January. Joining us, as always, is Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Yeah, delighted to be here. Hi. He's wearing a festive jumper, I might add, as well, which is nice to see <laughs> still. Um, and also joining us is Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. Hello. Happy New Year to everyone. He's also wearing a nice jumper. and uh, Yeah, not festive, but no. thank you. And uh, back on a podcast after a while away, we have got Tom Lang. Hello, Tom. Hey, happy to uh, see you all. Happy New Year. Yeah, it's great to uh, to have you back on, on the pod. And we're going to look at the National League. Um, and at the top, um, interesting couple of days. There was wins for Chesterfield. And at Wrexham, Wrexham with a hard-fought two-on win at Solihull. Chesterfield, well, they uh, they went behind to Scunthorpe. Scunthorpe got the customary early goal before being beaten. And um, Notts County only drew 2-2 at Oldham, despite being ahead twice. Um, the Oldham fans, I know, were quite happy with that result. I mean, that's a better result for Oldham than it is Notts County in the end, isn't it? It is. It's a great point for Oldham. I mean... You've got to start, as Dickie will come to in a bit, you've got to start with basic foundations and get a point here and there when you can. Um, and I think they got, uh, did they not, uh, a relatively uh, late equaliser, didn't they, with um, Joe Nuttall's penalty, 10, 11 minutes to go. Um, for Notts County, that had been buoyed by the return of, of, of Macaulay Langstaff um, in the last game and a bit. Um, obviously, Kedwin Scott scoring again. It looked like business as usual for them. But um, we're back in that little pattern we were in a few weeks ago now where every other week one of Notts County or Wrexham would draw and the other one would win and they'd flip places. But um, Wrexham went a little better, didn't they, today um, in their game, Luke, at, at Solly Moors. They completed a double there. Hasn't been a great few weeks, a couple of months even for, for Solly Moors, has it? No, and no Joe Sabar as well in the start, starting lineup, and And that begs the question... Is he on the move, potentially? I can probably answer that one for you, because when we played, uh, when Telford played Solihull in the FA Trophy, he came on as a substitute, scored within a few minutes, but going into the last few minutes of the game, he was through on goal again, um, took quite a heavy challenge from Harry Flowers and, and limped off the field. And I suspect he's probably still feeling the effects of that one. And he's missed both the games against Wrexham over this period, um, probably thanks to that, that challenge, which wasn't penalised. There was no... You know, penalty, no free kick. It was a, a fair uh, challenge, but yeah, it just um, it's it's a meeting of a fairly big object in Flowers. He's about six foot five, and we all know Joe Sabar is fairly diminutive. Still a big loss yeah, though, for, he's, he's well, for Solihull, isn't he? In terms of a player, sorry, isn't he? Yeah, he's well contracted, isn't he? Got a new contract at the start of the season. It's going to take a um, a substantial offer and a and, and a decent club to come in to to try and prize him away from there. I think he's quite happy. He enjoys his football there, Joe Sabara, but uh, yeah, most likely, um, as Dickie says, not quite shaken that one off yet. I guess the only real surprise, looking at that game as well, if you said Wrexham would go and win 2-1 at Solihull Moors, you'd probably go, well, what's that going to be? Uh, Palmer and Mullin. Um, but no, it was uh, Tom O'Connor and Jordan Tullycliffe with the goals, um, just giving the other boys a rest. You're right, though, Rob. When, you know what you said earlier in terms of it's not been a good couple of months for Solly Hull. Um, Luke talked about Scunthorpe getting their customer early goal, but going on to lose. Solly Hull have only won once more than Scunthorpe across the whole of November and December. 
um, and they are firmly rooted to the bottom of the table and the bottom of the form table. Um, so yeah, not not been a good couple of months for them. Um, and yeah, I've just looked at Sabara. Sabara's under contract to 2024, but they also have a 12 month extension on him. So if anyone did want to get him out of the contract, it's going to be pricey business, I think. So Chesterfield is starting to spread the goals around as well. There was four different scorers in that win over Scunthorpe: Amanda Dobra, Quasi Asante, Jeff King, and Kabongo Shimanga, as you might expect. And at the start of the season, they were winning games without scoring loads. They were maybe relying on Shimanga to come on and score, but Polka could be delighted that they're spreading the goals about now, aren't they? Yeah, and Quigley, who didn't score uh, in this one, has really started to find his goal-scoring form. Um, Chesterfield have, you know, persevered with him because he he leads the line well. I mean, he's not really had the goals that, that that you'd want at a top top club like that. And and perhaps the Chesterfield fans will have looked on him, obviously, at the forward lines of Notts County and Wrexham. But credit to Chesterfield, they can't seem to get going. <laughs> against Scunthorpe until they go behind, can they? Did it in both games, but uh, came out comfortably on top. And looking at that top three, not much in it between Notts County and Wrexham. County two points ahead, Wrexham game in hand. But Chesterfield have got two games in hand on Notts County. So if you take a positive view on those two games in hand, then it probably would be a little bit premature to call it a, a, a two a two horse race. It's um, It's definitely a three, if not a four, but we'll come to that. Yeah, I was going to say, talking of four, it's Woking in fourth place and they scored four, didn't they, Rob? They did. Um, I'm trying to think what's the best way to put this. Aldershot didn't really play anywhere near the levels they've been at recently in either game. Um, Woking were very efficient. They are a well-organised side who know what they're doing, don't tend to make too many individual errors and have three or four players in their attacking uh, element of the team, that either have, can or will play at a higher level. And, um, yeah, it's all credit to Darren Sull. I, I've had my doubts about him in the past, but Joe Wax is lyrical about what a good manager he is. And I think it's really starting to come through because um, 46 points from 24 games for uh, for Woking, you've got to applaud it. Um, what hurts is they didn't really have to play that well to pick up all six points against Aldershot um, over the two games. Um, I think Woking and Aldershot felt that Aldershot shaded the first half on New Year's Day, but somehow went in 2-1 down, and that's just a very Aldershot thing to do. Um, in the second half, they completely shot themselves in the foot uh, with a couple of very soft goals. Uh, I, I was summarising on the radio, and I was just looking, turning to the commentator, Mark Francis, and giving my take on... Woking's third goal uh, and looking in the wrong direction because at that very point Luca Ashby Hammond gave the ball away and Padre Gamon said thank you very much let's make it 4-1 game over um, very very difficult for Aldershot uh, difficult for the fans to take tough for Ross McNeely losing you know back to back his first um, Hampshire sorry derby uh, but for Woking fans my goodness me they've waited a very 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 long time for this Complete or utter domin- complete and utter domination of of that game over Boxing Day and New Year. So enjoy it, Woking fans. <laughs> While you can. <laughs> I didn't say that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in um in fifth, sixth and seventh teams you might not expect to be there. Barnet. I mean Tom, I know Barnet are always a, a bit of a conundrum. They start the season strong, they had that blip, they got a draw on 
the Monday against Boreham Wood and are well settled in fifth place. Yeah, they are. They seem to have come through um, sort of the last couple of years of instability that they've had around the club. Um, they've got, they didn't make a huge amount of changes this summer, um, which is quite out of character for them. Um, they they seem to have a relatively settled squad. They seem to have a relatively settled squad going through most weeks and that consistency is paying dividends for them um, up to fifth in the table. Um, they're, they're not, they're not that tight at the back. Um, like a, a quick look at the table shows you've got to go all the way down to Altrincham in 11th to find somebody who's conceived as many goals as them. Um, but they do score quite a few. And again, like you were saying about Chesterfield, they spread them around the team quite well. Cabamba might have 12, but there's quite a few players in that Barnet squad who are on the sort of three, four, five goal levels. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's a good point for them. Um, against well, Bournemouth is a tough place to go and get results. Um, Historically, not so much this season, maybe, but um, yeah, it's a good result for them, and and they're doing really well. But it's it's the team just below them who I think are are really impressive um, with everything that they've got going on off the field. The team that have been put together at Southend United, the results they keep churning out, and the fact they seem to be doing it, playing quite a good style of football as well, um, is really really impressive um, out in Essex. Just a quick question for uh, for you, Tom, on Barnet. Um... Uh, you're a little bit closer geographically to there, and I don't know. And you talk to a lot of people in football. I'm fascinated to know what it is that Dean Brennan's done. Joe made a really good point at the start of the season. Um, he signed a lot of centre backs from sides that got relegated last year and conceded a lot of goals. He said they they will concede a lot of goals. They conceded a lot of goals, an awful lot of goals. It took some hammerings, but it's something like seven clean sheets out of nine or ten at the moment, and. You know, just just what has he done to bring about that change that suddenly seen them keep so many clean sheets and start sticking three points, three points, one point together that's got them into the top five? What's he done differently? Uh, yeah, I've, I've got no idea, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I haven't watched them and I've, I've not spoken to anyone um, associated to Barnet. Nice. Um, I do, I like the role that Ryan de Havilland plays in their team. Um, he he's someone I saw a lot at Fulham uh, going through the academy at the under 18s and the under 23s. He is very effective at mopping up play, but also has that sort of that technical ability that you expect for someone coming out of Fulham's academy. Um, and I think that he he plays that sort of role quite well. Um, they have a couple of people that can do it. Michael Phillips can do it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of of what has changed in the last couple of months, I'm I don't know. In terms of Southend, Tom, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously, they're doing fantastically well. They've not had a great Christmas in terms of the results potentially for them. They lost at what 1-0 against Bramley on Boxing Day, and then it was 0-0 on New Year's Day. But they're still in the mix, aren't they? They are, and I just think they've got... I mean, you've got... We talk about those top sort of three or three or potentially four teams, if you include Woking. Like, take them out of the conversation. I just think Southend have got really good strength all the way across the pitch. Um we talked two years in a row about how bloated their squad was. Um, they came down with something like 40 players on the books and didn't really do much about that in their first season in the National League. But when you look through their squad list now, they've got an awful lot of players out, out on loan. They they cut a lot of players in the summer, um, even including some, some relatively big names who've been important parts of what they've done, the likes of James Dunn, which we're showing the door and people like that. Um, what they've got now is, is a, a much more compact squad a lot more consistency on the pitch and then just some real quality that's been drip fed through the squad. Like the likes of Jack Bridge, who's come up from, uh, where, where was he? I think he was at um, Concord before. North, 
Yeah, and he's been, and then he's played at Northampton, Carlisle, hasn't he? Yeah. So you know, because he he came back down, brought him back up the pyramid. He's been such a you know such a revelation. Signing Casper Lapata on a on a permanent deal, massive piece of business for South End. That's someone who's got the ability to go right the way up the pyramid. Um, and they they've signed well from the lower leagues as well, and they've also pinched players, pinched good players, key players from potential rivals. They've they brought in Kevin Miley from Eastleigh. He's someone who could have been that you know they could have been looking around the same sort of place in the table. They've signed Harry Taylor from Barnet. People like that that make their rivals weaker, but also strengthen themselves. Um, and then I really like you know really like the signings of like Gus Scott Morris and Chris Ray in the summer as well. The sort of people who are just going to add that little bit of quality um, that they've scouted well in the lower leagues as well. Um, so I think they just they've got their recruitment spot on this season, um, and and it's working out well for them. Eastleigh are um, they're a funny side. They're in the final playoff places, and it almost felt like. They snuck up, but if you look, um, the win against Dorking was only the, the second win in eight games, and they were two 0 up after a minute and a half. They went ahead after seven seconds, then they were two uh, 0 up after one minute thirty, which had Mark White tearing his cap off, I think, and eventually easily were four 0 up at half time and went on to win that game four um, nil. What do you make of Easley, Tom? The, the level on points with Dagenham and Redbridge, you won against Maidstone. Dagenham have three games in hand and then they're just a point ahead of the likes of Bromley and Wheelstone. So so the first thing I'll say about this the result this weekend is I was quite disappointed to see them put four past Dorking. Um I easily achieved one of my favourite stats in in football, which was they they became the first club in all the football league and, and national league system to ever qualify for the playoffs with a negative goal difference. Um and they're currently they were up there with a minus three goal difference at the start of this <laughs> week as well. Um, now they're into the positive figures, and I just I really want them to be able to go on and do that again. Um, but if they keep putting four past people, they're not gonna they're not gonna do that. Um, but yeah, great result for them. I think you know I use the word for Southend about consistency. That's easily a big problem, isn't it? Is is consistency? Um, they just don't string results together. Um, you know, I think I'm sure Joe will talk about it when we talk about Torquay. Torquay, I think have, have you've got to go back a year for Torquay to put more than two games without defeat in a row. Um, and Eastleigh are not too dissimilar to that this season. They they really struggle to put runs of form together. If they can sort that out, they've clearly got the ability to put teams to the sword. If they can sort out that consistency issue, then the playoffs is exactly where they should be aiming. And it's incredible to think that they are in those playoffs. I mean, it's it's two in and fro, and teams are bobbing up and down, aren't they? You can go right down to um, 14th place, and the you know the team in fourteenth place, Halifax, right now, are just three points outside of the playoffs. Um, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Really, I I've not been that impressed with Eastleigh this season, and um, I know that Mark White and his Dorking side went very very confident there um, after dominating possession in the second half of the the game on Boxing Day. They they, they really fancied their chances, um, and fair play to Eastleigh. Must be doing quite a few things right. He must be doing something right under Bradbury. Uh, of course, it's his first full season in charge, isn't it? Having come in during last season. So, uh, yeah, credit. If they've not been that great and, and they've only just gone into a, a plus goal difference, but they sit seventh as we go into the new year, that's uh, pretty good. <laughs> maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's more about the rest of the division than it does about them. Yeah, just nobody can. There's only four teams that have really been able to build any serious consistency, and 
And obviously, we've talked about them already. Other than that, you know, literally teams taking points off each other here, there and everywhere. Uh, Dagger and Rob, I mean, we mentioned them. They, they won 1-0 at Maidstone. And we're always a bit too in on throwing on um, Daryl Daryl McMahon's position, aren't we? But uh, to say three games in hand, if they win at least two of those, they'll be in a very good position, won't they? Yeah, I mean, consistency's been their big issue all along. Um, they're in the position that they finished in, haven't they, pretty much the last couple of years, just outside the playoffs. Um, I watched a fair bit of that game today as we record this. Maidstone will have a big hard luck story on this one. A penalty not given, goal not given, saved, cleared off the line, etc. Um, and, and, and Dagenham did something that they don't often do, really, which is just find a way to to dig out a win in that sort of game. They're, Dagenham are often the sort that will be on it and win 3-0 or they'll go and get beaten 2 or 3-0 somewhere else. So, um, fair play. It was a moment of quality from Miles Weston. Uh, Josh Walker got across his man and headed in at the near post. And I think that was in the last 10 minutes and um, and, and Dagenham hung on. And, uh, you know, just we'll, we'll, we'll focus a little bit more on the bottom in a minute, but it's the kind of thing that happens to you. Uh, it's happening to to Hakan at Maidstone at the minute. You know, there was enough in that performance to have at least got a point against a decent Dagenham side and they they uh, they left the Gallagher Stadium with nothing. Yeah, Tom, I, um, I mentioned this to Joe last week. It's funny in terms of the two teams who won their respective leads, Gateshead and Maidstone, are struggling and yet Darkin and York, who came up through the playoffs, are, are doing okay. Yeah, so, I, I mean, so, so Gateshead, first and foremost, like, you can't have the likes of Kevin Scott and Macaulay Langstaff walking out the door and expect to, to really push on. I mean, what Langstaff and Scott between them have scored 35 goals this season. Um, that makes a big difference to Gateshead's uh, ability to stay up if it stays. Um, as for Maidstone, I think there were a few key players for Maidstone who like didn't didn't even look at making a step up, the likes of George Elakobi, who was retiring. Um, and I think that taking that sort of now out of the dressing room is going to be difficult. Um, I think Dorking were probably always well-equipped. That they've, they've got such a tried and tested model, and I've spoken about it numerous times on this podcast. They've got such a good tried and tested model for acclimatising to a new league. Um, I think like I, I look at Dorking with absolute confidence that they would go up to this division and survive um, and do so with relative comfort. I, mm. Whilst I'm not saying I think Dorking are in shape for promotion, if slash when they do go up to League 2, they will go up and, and acclimatise and adjust well. They're just really well set up to adapt to a new division. You could throw a blanket over the the teams below Dagenham, between Bromley and Halifax, as Rob mentioned, that's 9 to 14th. Just two points separating them. Um, really, really tight. Uh, two of those teams I saw on New Year's Day, Halifax and Altrincham, in a game which kicked off 15 minutes late because they had a late pitch inspection. Um, and it was on, in doubt to start at the very sort of last minute. But eventually they did get underway. And uh, Altrincham took the lead early on through Elliot Osborne. I think Sam Johnson might blame the pitch, but... Uh, don't think he can have any complaints. It squirmed underneath him. Halifax were um, they were passing the ball about without really going anywhere, to much to the frustration of the fans. Uh, and then they equalised through Milinek Alley uh, in after sixty-five minutes. But then Aldrigan went up the other end, and it looked like they'd won it when Chris Con Clark's free kick again deceived Johnson. But then just two minutes later, um, Asore got the equaliser. 
for Halifax, which meant the game ended all square 2-2. And I caught up with both managers after the game, Phil Parkinson and Chris Millington. Uh, Phil, what started a new year that game was? Yeah, great entertainment value. Um, I think if you've come today, you've certainly got value for money. Difficult pitch. I mean, there was a late pitch inspection, wasn't there? There was a lot of doubt over it. What did you make of that? Did it affect the game, do you think? It did for us in terms of preparation, I'll be honest, before it was off, the way the ref was talking, he was throwing the ball in the air, it was just sticking in the in the mud. Um, so, yeah, to get it on, we, we want to play, so we've come here, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have mattered to us in terms of not too far away for us to come midweek, so if it, if it was off, it was off, but listen, both, both sets of players wanted to play it, both managers did, and it, as long as the ref deemed it, play it, well, not play it, I don't think it was perfectly playable, but safe is the word I'll be looking yeah, yeah. for then that's all you're asking for so a real good not a local derby but a good what you'd probably call this level of derby match where both sets of teams were really going for it weren't they yeah obviously Halifax started bright but then you got the goal you settled didn't you and, and you really frustrated the home team and the fans yeah we set up a little bit different today because of the conditions because we hadn't had the preparation in terms of we weren't sure if the game was on so probably a little bit more cautious we've just played them and beat them so you, you're obviously you've got to have that in the back of your mind. You want to give them the, all the respect in the world. Chris Millington's done a brilliant job since taking over from Pete here. So give them a little bit of respect. But then obviously we showed what we're all about when we went reverted to our more natural shape. Um, and I thought we tore them to pieces then. Um, and the chances we created, we should have won that three-two minimum, four-two. Yeah. Our chances were far superior to theirs. Yeah, you're always a threat going forward, weren't you? It was. Um... Was it frustrating that you conceded declines at the time you did, especially the first one, because you were looking comfortable, weren't you? Yeah, it's, uh, very, very frustrating, and that's been a bit of our Achilles heel, hasn't it, this season? The timings of the chances that we concede and when we concede them, and I thought we'd turn a corner on that, but when you play good teams, they'll hurt you when you have a drop-off, and we're a young team, if not the youngest in the division. Mm. Now and again, these young boys are going to have drops-off, um, but... As, as we said at the start, the entertainment, the giving, the never-say-die attitude, the quality of play, that's what I want to see when I go to a football game and that's what I think the lads have dished out today. Now at the end, there was, there was a disallowed goal, wasn't there? There was a lot of head-scratching in the press box. It looked like it was going in and Denanga's touched it in. I know you've been speaking and you're adamant it was onside. I can only go by what everybody's saying down yeah. that side of the pitch and also their own players. So for their own players to say he's 10 yards on, all the... And I know people will say the bias are Altrincham fans. We'll, well, we'll see on the highlights, won't we? But it's twice uh, that particular official's cost us this season and it's, it's disappointing. So, hey, listen, if we make the same mistakes as a punishment from my point of view and my players' point of view, um, but th- there doesn't seem to be that for the officials. And it's, it's frustrating because officials don't deliberately make mistakes. It just happens But it, when it happens to the same person and it costs you the same way, it's, it's a really difficult build, build, uh, pill to swallow. A few rumours around your players in the January transfer window. I mean, obviously, uh, what can you say on that at the minute? Not a great deal. So if people want to people want to come get them, they've got to pay the money, haven't they? So um, people want things for three, but we've got really good players that we've took a long time to develop here. I don't want to lose any of them, but that's the nature of the beast. When lads do well, they'll go on to bigger and better things. I'd be disappointed if we're losing them to teams in this division, but that's just the way it is. We've got teams in this division that should be in the mm. next division if not the one above that as well so that's what you're fighting against all we can do is do what we've done all the time is be ready to move if, if these players go and if they do we'll do what we've always done uh, these players weren't the ones who were driving us forward a couple of seasons ago 
we're good at building teams here and we'll find the right pieces to the jigsaw puzzle. And four points from these two games, you must be satisfied, I suppose. I'm not right now, no. but I will be probably when the dust has settled um, because it's the first time I think we've beat Halifax in this division and to take four points at Christmas, I can't remember doing that for a long, long time. I think it was the playoff season we went up. That was the last time we did that because we normally played Stockport County. <laughs> yeah. um, every time yeah. we were absolutely flying every time we played them. So, yeah, that kind of David and Goliath uh, story is, is, is where we're at and... Um, We'll keep punching above our weight and, and see where this season takes us because we've got a really exciting group of players in there. Brilliant. Cheers, Phil, and Happy New Year. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers, so, Chris, um, I've just been speaking to Park. I said, what a cracking way to start the new year with that game. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, they, they're, they're always entertaining affairs, I think, Altrincham games because of, uh, because of the style of play and the, the way they approach the game, and we try and do it a similar way. Mm. Um, I think we'd probably be... Uh, we'd like to think that we're slightly more pragmatic in terms of our mm. defensive structure but um, we do try and play a possession based game so fantastic spectacle for the neutrals Yeah you started off really brightly didn't you and the goal seemed to knock the stuffing out of you didn't it Yeah the players said that at half time they were disappointed with the way they reacted to the um, to going behind and I think you know we're, we're clearly not the um, uh, not the high scoring team that we'd like to be no. and I think maybe that, that plays on the minds occasionally but um, we had players in the team today who were going to carry a goal threat and who we knew could get us back in the game. So we were confident that uh, if we maintained possession of the ball and maintained territory on the pitch that we were going to create chances. Yeah, it was interesting because, like you say, you were looking to keep possession. A lot of the times the fans were quite frustrated with it, weren't they, as well? Does that frustrate you that you get on the players' backs about that? Because if you just lumped it forward, they'd probably get frustrated with that as well, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, listen, the majority of the fans are fantastic and they understand what we're trying to do and sometimes is uh, is more positive towards possession based football but we approach the game the way we do we're looking to uh, we're looking to build through the thirds we want to uh, we want to have good possession in the opposition half and we want to create chances off the back of that um, but uh, but I know the fans are eager to get the ball in the box as early as possible they'll they'll uh, they'll appreciate it as long as the results keep coming at home and you must be pleased especially with the second goal the quick response to going behind yeah absolutely yeah I think um you know, we felt that with the players we had on the pitch, Yaman Asawe and uh, Rob Harker's a, a, a fantastic young striker. Um, we've got goals in Matty Warburton, and I think with the uh, with the uh, threat set pieces that Jesse Deborah and Festus Arthur bring, we we felt that there was still an opportunity for us within the game, um, and thankful that it came. and And Yaman was lucky enough to get his first uh, first competitive goal for the club. And then there was the incident right at the end. Phil's obviously adamant it was onside. What did you make of it? I, I couldn't really tell. I've got to be honest. I think the um, the final touch, the the, mm. the players, and I think some of the Altrincham players at the end were actually frustrated with um, with the player taking the touch when he could have allowed it to go in so uh, so yeah it must be very disappointing but I think all in all I would say you know we, we were reasonably satisfied with it as a home performance mm. um, and I think Altrincham should be satisfied with it as an away performance and, and I think probably a point each was just about a fair result. You first Proper job as a number one in management. Rocky start. I mean, obviously, uh, what did you learn from this first few months? I mean, obviously, the support of the board was great as well, thing. You've come out of it the other side. Yeah, David's the chairman's been fantastic. Um, and he was probably, uh, well, not probably, he was certainly more aware of the challenges that we were going to face with the amount of players we lost at the back end of last season. I was confident that with the recruitment we had in place and the players we were attracting, that we would be able to uh, cover the the losses in ability that uh, we had with so many players leaving us to go to the football league. So 
it was um i was maybe a bit naive um because i didn't maybe allow for the fact that we lost some characters we lost some leadership and it was going to take a bit of time for other uh, other characters to grow into those positions so that was the biggest learning really for me was you know football wise i think um we've got as much ability within the squad as we had last year if not a bit more um but um learning about the character of the group and learning about who was going to step up and become those uh, those leaders within the group was was the big learning for me and that took a little bit longer than I expected it to were you ever worried because obviously sometimes you know it can be trigger happy especially with new managers was there ever that thought in your mind thinking I've got to turn this around quick yeah listen there are a lot of similarities between Halifax and and Altrincham in this Mm. sense in that you know there's a there's a real stability and a, a real sort of long-term vision for the club and um, I was confident that the chairman had that Um, what was uh, more concerning was making sure that we got the best out of the group as quickly as possible because um, because we knew the quality football wise within the group and in in a good number of games we were actually performing well but unable to turn those performances into results so um, so that was the biggest worry was was how we were going to turn performances into results but um you know, you, you've you've got to get the results to make sure that you feel confident and comfortable within your position, um, and thankfully that came. And finally, looking to push on now in 2023. Yeah, we're excited about the the, the you know this represents the first uh, first half sorry first game of the second half of the season for us, and we think that um, our home form has been good in recent weeks. You know, we're off the back of six victories and a draw now. Um, we think we can build on that and continue to be. Uh, make this a difficult place to come it's a big pitch nobody enjoys coming and playing here because of the size of the pitch at the Shea Um, and we've just got to work hard to improve our away form we've had too many games where uh, we've dominated them we reference Yeovil away Eastleigh away games where we've dominated possession created more chances um, and come away with nothing so we've got to turn those those performances into results away from home now Um, so yeah we're really excited about the second half of the season and we believe that as a staff um, the way we work and the way we approach each game now we've seen every opposition once this mm. season we can really prepare the lads to the very best of our ability to go forward and get the points they need And Luke what did you make of them obviously um, both in mid-table but uh, Altrincham I think really starting to um, starting to build now just two points off the playoffs and uh, you know I saw them a little earlier in the season they were really struggling I think I saw their their first win of the season uh, they were in the bottom four at the time, but um, Parkinson's uh, getting it together there, isn't he? Yeah, um, I think the Halifax fans, if you speak to them after, they were they were grateful for a point because they weren't amazing. Uh, you can see what Chris Millington's trying to do in terms of the style of play. Um, Altrincham were really solid, really well organised, although in, once they went 1-0, they didn't really look like adding a second. It was only when the Halifax first equaliser went in that they really sort of turned it on again. Um Good response from Halifax, as I said, but then he could have won it at the end when Colclough shot. Uh, and you heard it mentioned in the interviews there that um, Colclough shot was going in the bottom corner and Denanga stuck a foot out and diverted it in. Now, from where we were, he looked offside. Phil Parkinson thought it was at first, but then he was, he's been told otherwise. So I've not seen it on TV, but equally, Denanga, if he'd have left it alone, it would have gone in and Altrincham would have won the game. So out the two, yeah, Altrincham impressed me more. There's obviously vultures circling around the likes of Cole Clough. I think Chris Conclart's going back at the end of Jam back to Fleetwood. Um, 
but I know speaking to a couple of the Oldscrum lot, especially Brian Flynn, who we know of this uh, podcast, he said if they do sell Colcuff, they're confident that they'll get in someone who can be equally as good because with the contacts and, and the type of managers that they are, they're always sort of planning ahead. So if Old, if that late winner had gone in for Oldscrum, I think they would have been in the playoffs up until today, certainly. So they felt like it was a slight missed opportunity for him. Fair enough. And I'm glad you got to see some goals, Luke, because I know you over the years, yeah. You've seen a few nil, seen a few nil nils at Halifax, haven't you? So, uh, um, yeah. I'm glad you did, and well done for catching up with both, both managers. And Oldham won beaten in seven games as well now, so on a good little run there. Um, as I mentioned, down at the bottom, a big win for Yeovil against Torquay. That's four points now they've taken off Torquay. I know Joe, uh, who's not with us today, was a uh, pretty crestfallen about it all, and. He sent us this little voice note with his thoughts on it. After a Boxing Day draw in which Torquay United were lucky to get a point, Torquay made the trip to Yeovil Town looking to get a much-needed win in the fight against relegation. And unfortunately for Torquay, it ended in a 2-0 defeat as the pressure mounts on manager Gary Johnson. I was in attendance at Hewish Park... Um, and unfortunately for Torquay, it was a poor second half showing that was ultimately their downfall. First half, they were the better side. They had the majority of the possession, they had more chances. And Yeovil, who started the game poorly, um, and made a couple of surprises in the lineup, with Alex Fisher not brought into the starting 11 after doing well on Boxing Day, and defender Ben Richards Everton starting up front for Yeovil Town. Talking with a much better side, but unfortunately a game is 90 minutes. And in the second half, Yeovil made a couple of changes. One of those that made a real impact was Andrew Oluwabori, on loan from Peterborough, a fast, nippy striker. And he came on and made all the difference for Yeovil. He got the ball, he ran at people, and he committed defenders. Um, and he was involved for Yeovil's first goal. Lovely interception and a ball down the left-hand side with a lovely cross in for Matty Worthington to fire home. After that, it was one-way traffic for Yeovil and they were the better side. Torquay huffed and puffed but could provide no quality in front of goal. Aaron Jarvis and Will Goodwin were starved of service yet again. And a breakaway goal from Yeovil at the end served them the win. A 2-0 win for Yeovil, they'll be delighted. Not the best performance in the game, but they find a way to grind out results and that has become the norm now under Mark Cooper. Defensively outstanding, Grant Smith didn't have a lot to do as Torquay once again huffed and puffed in front of goal. Where does it leave Torquay? Well, in short, in a mess. 23rd in the league, only Scunthorpe, who look like they will finish bottom, the only side below them. Going into the Christmas fixtures, these were going to be defining fixtures for not just Torquay United, but Gary Johnson as well. They needed to get three points, at least win one of these games, um, and unfortunately to come out of the game, both games, with only one point in total, tells you all you need to know. Yeovil will be down there at the bottom um, come the end of the season. And the fact that Torquay could only get a point from these two games tells you all you need to know. Torquay are in a mess. 
They need to change. They need to shake something up. And unfortunately, I think now is time for Gary Johnson to leave his role. Whether he will, I don't think so. I think he'll still be there. Um, However, there needs to be a change. The performances are not good enough. He needs to have a reshuffle. The Lonies are not good enough. Wien and De Silva yesterday, both playing, both not providing enough quality going forward. Mark Ellis, injured, not in the squad yesterday. He needs to be sent back to Barrow. And Gary Johnson needs to use his contacts, which he keeps telling us he has. He needs to use those contacts and go out and find some players, some good players. Because Torquay can stay up. They're in a good position to stay up. Only a couple of points at this stage. Um, And if they can make a change and add a couple of players of quality on loan, then there's no reason, if they can string a couple of results together, that they can stay up. We saw it last season. Torquay ended the season well, signed some players that made all the difference. Little run together and they stayed up. The change needs to come now for Torquay United um, because, unfortunately, while for many it was a nightmare before Christmas, for Torquay United, it's a nightmare before, during and after. Down at the bottom, Gateshead and York, they clashed. And um, again, uh, four points for Gateshead. They'd have taken that, wouldn't they? I think Dickie out of the, those two games. Yeah, I think so. And they were very, very close to making it six points over Christmas and New Year as well. Gates said, I listened to this game this afternoon. Um, and it was only a, a very, very late equaliser from uh, Watford Loney, Shaquille or Chuck Ford, who's um, um, just joined them recently. It was only that that, um, that got York a point out of today's game. Sounded like a fairly tepid encounter I was listening to it from a York perspective and they they didn't seem particularly thrilled about what they were saying from the seeing from their team um I know Danny Elliott I think got on the mark again for Gateshead he's been a good acquisition two penalties on uh Boxing Day which was a day from his Twitter feed as well he's, he lost his grandfather on Boxing Day so dedicated his goals to him so that was a really nice uh touch uh Danny Ward with the other goal for Gateshead today but by the sounds of things they had chances and didn't put enough of them away. They could have been out of sight. There was always that hope that York might still get something from the game. And that's exactly what Ford got them adding to uh, a Mitch Hancock's goal in the first half. And there was a couple of familiar faces in the crowd as well. We mentioned them early, Dickie. Yes, Scott and Langstaff were back at Gateshead, but unfortunately for the Gateshead fans, they were just there watching uh, from the stand, obviously um, made the trip. Um, up the uh, A1 to to see their old team in action. Um, um, But yeah, it was purely a watching brief for them. So I'm sure it was really nice for the Gateshead fans to see them back. But yeah, there must have been a a few little thoughts of what might have been. But um, yeah, I would say that, you know, in in adding um, Elliot, certainly, um, I think Gateshead have have made a very positive move there. Um, I also read an interview with Mike Williamson as well in reviewing his 2022. And um, uh, as much as, you know, I think the person speaking to him was wanting to talk about the fact that they won the title last year. He said, look, you know, if we talk about the title, that's not going to help us in the situation we're in now. And he was clearly... And, and as you would expect, very, very focused on their predicament at the moment rather than wanting to, to revel in too much of what happened in May. So at the bottom then, are we saying it's five, it's four out of five? Uh, Rob, I'll ask you on this. All the shot of five points clear. Are you 
worried about them or can we even chuck like Yeovil and possibly Maiden heading to the mix as well? Yeah, I'd go as high as York, actually. I'm not suggesting York would be. I obviously tipped York earlier in the season to be, um, you know, maybe in that last playoff place. So they started off like that, didn't they? And then obviously Aston have gone. But um, points-wise, I'd include York. Probably not York. Um, and in all likelihood, not Maidenhead because we fall into that trap every year. But certainly from Yeovil down without a shadow of a doubt. Um, credit to Yeovil for picking up uh, four points against uh, Torquay um, over the Christmas period. That's a really healthy return for them against a side desperately uh, stuck in the bottom four as well. Um Aldershot showed good signs of uh, pulling clear, but, um, you know, they've been pegged back and they missed a few games and then they've lost the two games against Woking. They're, they're certainly not safe yet. Um, and I was going to sort of flip it around and ask you guys, really. Obviously, Gates said only on goal difference outside of it, then Oldham, Maidstone, Torquay and Scunthorpe. My question was going to be, anybody we can say without a shadow of a doubt they're going down? And my team there would be Scunthorpe. Um and it's anybody tough that for Scunthorpe, isn't it? And I think obviously Joe's not too uh, cheery about yeah. Torquay's prospects, is there? But um, I don't know, Tom. What do you think? The fascinating thing, Tom, to ask you specifically is Gary Johnson. You know, you've you've met him on a number of occasions. You know his record. He's the sort of manager if you if he was available, you'd want to bring in into a team in Torquay's kind of situation to to use his, his, his goal and experience to get out of it. But he's been there a long while and he's he's not making the significant difference, is he, at the moment? Yeah, so it's funny. I, I saw something the other day, and obviously we'll talk about managerial departures later, I'm sure, but I saw something the other day, which was on Twitter, it might have been Joe asking, sort of, who is to blame for Torquay's current predicament? Is it the board? Is it the management? Et cetera, et cetera. And the, the ownership definitely seems to be picking up a, a big part of the blame there. But one of the things which was really well pointed out was that every time he speaks, and he might just be a good being a good company man, but every time he speaks, Gary Johnson says he's happy with the squad he's got, um, which suggests that he feels that he has been backed as he needs to have been backed in the market and, in, and with the playing budget. So there then comes a question of, well, if you're happy with the squad that you've got, what is what is not taking place to be able to turn that into points? Um, and are you able to do so? Um, it's it's a really difficult one because as you say like everything about Gary Johnson is that he should be the perfect sort of manager for this sort of position, um, but it, it's just something something just feels a bit stale at Torquay, um, and it, it doesn't. I will say credit to them; they are fighting for their position and for the manager. The amount of late goals they score, the amount of late draws that or losses they turn into draws and draws they turn into victories is really impressive. Um, but they're struggling to perform across 90 minutes and that's not a good trait for a team in the bottom four. What they need to do is sack him and bring him back two weeks later and like <laughs> manager bounce and then we're good. Yeah, then. that's brilliant. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. <clears throat> I mean, he was backed, Tom, just taking it back a little while and I I don't want to hit any, you know, Aldershot supporters while they're already down, but he got five players in within five days, I think, before that midweek game against Aldershot. Um, he almost drew a, a line and said, we're going to start the season again. We've got fresh impetus. Bang, they went out there. The crowd were behind them. The new players performed. The wind was behind them. And they literally smashed all the shot up in that first half. And they won the game 6-1. I 
they had a little bit of form around that time too um, in the FA Cup. Mm. They somehow found a way to progress, didn't they, against your team, Tom? Um, but it hasn't been sustained. It just hasn't been sustained. And, you know, when Gary Johnson looks at where the points are going to come from, he'd have been banking on at least four against the Oval over yeah. over Christmas and New Year, and he only came out with one. And uh, so you, you asked the question, who do we think are going down from that group? I, I think Torquay and Scunthorpe are, are, are pretty much done. I, I just, I mean, they're not done. Obviously, there's a lot of season to play for, but I just don't see either of them being able to turn things around. Um, you know, you look at Scunthorpe, that the one beacon of hope they had was Joe Nuttall, and now he's off to obviously gone to Oldham and scored three, four since he's gone there. Um, I mean, Kane Lever has been scoring a few, hasn't he? Uh, he needs to chip in with a few more, but again, they're not, he's the only one they're really relying on at the minute, aren't they? What I wanted to ask you, Rose, Rob, a few weeks ago, I know you said, um, uh, <clears throat> uh, hopefully Aldershot can have a comfortable mid table finish the end of the season. Are you worried now? We never feel comfortable as an Aldershot supporter, that's for sure. It's just, I, I, I remember times in the last couple of three seasons under Danny Searle as well, where we, we showed a bit of form, got a couple of wins. You know, we start looking to reach up to the uh, comfortable mid-table positions and then and then things happen. All of a sudden, you lose two or three on the trot. And you maybe, a couple of games get cancelled, so you, you lose momentum. And that's exactly what's happened again now. You know, um, I've got to admit, as we record today, I'm, I'm relieved um, that, that, that Gateshead were pegged back in the last minute, that, that, that Maidstone couldn't get at least the point that they deserve, because already I'm looking at it like, oh, you know, thank goodness there's still five point gap. But that was eight a couple of weeks ago. Um, it could be two next weekend. Um, and there's a very long way to go. We're only just over halfway through. In fact, all the are halfway through their season. So there is, always, there is always at least one team who's in the relegation zone who who pulls it together. Always, and I think you, that's most likely to be someone going to come up. I think it's most likely to be Oldham as it stands at the moment out of those four. But really, at the moment, even if if you if if you looked at it like it was nearer the end of the season, you, Oldham, Maidstone, Torquay, and maybe even Scunthorpe would be saying, "We've just got to get that that fifth bottom place because." And that's where they're not adrift of. And that's what will be giving them hope at the minute. You know, even Torquay, who you say you can't see him getting out of it, they're, they're two points off safety at the minute. Hmm. Interesting you mentioned about Oldham because they're putting in more bids for players than an episode of Holmes under the hammer at the minute, aren't they? And uh, it's whether if they get those players in, if they can get them to gel in time as well, because you can bring in good players, but then it's about are they up for the fight? getting them gelled, getting them in the right position. I mean, Colcus, Ryan Colcus been linked with Oldham. Oldham would turn down bids for him. So I know they're looking elsewhere. Um, but it's getting that squad together quickly in January and then trying to get them pulling together, isn't it? And Absolutely. Also, a nice easy game for Aldershot next, Rob, as well. Well, it's really weird. I was just, I was just thinking, actually, you know, after the, you know, Morale busting defeats uh, on New Year's Day. Dorking beating four 0 at Eastleigh, and Aldershot beating four one at Woking. Those two sides are at home next weekend. Dorking at home to Oldham, mm, you know, one of the three or four biggest clubs in the league, and Aldershot are at home to Notts County. And you would say it's probably like the worst possible game for Aldershot to go into now. But uh, I'm not. I'm not predicting this for next week. But I can tell you this: the last three seasons on the trot, Aldershot have beaten Notts County at home. No pressure either, is there, I suppose. They'll go into it and 
it's, it's kind of, it's not one of those games where you go, right, we've got to win this. It's sort of pressure, having no pressure on might make it a lot easier. I mean, next weekend's quite a big weekend. York City take on Maidstone at home. That's quite a big one. Torquay mm-hmm. playing Halifax, who aren't, as we heard there, are, um, are doing okay, but easily could be something Torquay could get from. And then, like you say, Dorking, Oldham and Scunthorpe Maidenhead. So massive games next week are coming up on Saturday. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it's just the best league. It's just phenomenal. Every time you think you've got it, you've got to measure it, you understand it, you think you know what's going to happen, it flips it on its head and surprises you again. Do you know what's just surprised me? is Dorking's goals for and goals against. It's yeah. absolutely mental. Fourth most and the worst and the most conceded, yeah. Yeah. There's only three teams in the division which have got a worse goal difference than them. Even Mark Weiss, at first he was kind of like, oh, well, you know, we'll go out to entertain. But even, even he's kind of like, we're conceding too many goals now. Probably should do something about this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting, but it's interesting, in his interview, it? in his interview yeah. yesterday, he kind of said how big a loss prior Fogden and... Um, Kane Wills are. He said, obviously, he's got the core of the squad, but they've maybe not quite the the fight and the nous that maybe they've had in previous seasons. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk. Obviously, we've seen Kane Wills up close twice in the last week, and he's still a very good player. Um, and yeah, like Fogden, Wills and Pryor were so big in terms of how they played. Um, and that's what, best part of 800 appearances between the three of them. That's a lot of experience to lose. Yeah. And then you and lose Greg, Rutherford. Griggs is- but Briggs is on his way back, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, you lose Briggs and Rutherford on top of that. And and then there is, I think what Mark tends to call is, you know, like his box office players. But they battled on nicely. And as as I, I said in the piece in the non-league paper, um, Dickie and I were kindly invited to, to write about our moments, our team, our managers, our players of uh, 2022. And I had no hesitation in, in, in nominating Dorkin as my team of 2022. Firstly, for completing that journey from... Division 5 of the Parks League to the top level of non-league and then following it up by sticking 30 points on the board by the turn of the year in uh, in pretty difficult situation. You know, finding their way at a new level, uh, injuries to key players again, a lot of off-the-field developments, you know, kind of draining the resource, draining the, the, their focus and their attention. Um, so, yeah, um, as, as Tom said, they, they will stay up at, at this level comfortably. But yeah, it's a bit of a head scratch of the goal difference in it, Tom. It's, I mean, the amount of goals. There's more goals being scored in Dorking games than any other game, any other well, team. One thing I would say this that maybe it makes it less of a hazard. They only signed one defender this summer. They got promoted. They signed seven players across the front half of the pitch, across the midfield and attack. They only signed one defender. Um, you know, they went into the season with Slab Huck starting goalie, who's now been dual registered out to step four playing with Leatherhead. Um, maybe there is this question around Mark White knows how to, as you say, go out to entertain and knows how to build it, set up a team to go out and entertain. And they've got all those box office players, as you describe. But maybe there is this question of like, actually, football's a lot more difficult at this level. Um, and the same, you, you need to pay the same amount of attention to the defence at this level because otherwise you end up conceding 150 goals like they have. It's a really good point. And just to build on that very quickly before we move on from talking, Tom, um, you know, Mark White's big on his kind of formations and horses for courses and everything else. Of course, we know they love ideally to play their three at the back um, and the three, five, two. But um, there's been times this season he's had to make decisions on what his team's doing tactically that maybe go against what he'd ideally do because he looked around and he hasn't got three central defenders. 
Um, you know, they've had, uh, you know, a number of injuries uh, there as well. So, uh, yeah, but they're certainly very uh, entertaining, aren't they? And, uh, you know, uh, I think they're averaging something like 1,900 uh, in the National League this season, uh, which anybody that has watched the Dorking um, progression over the years, you know, they'll say, look back five years, look back six years or whatever. It's, it's phenomenal. We're going to move on and look at the National League South. And in the National League South, Tom, um, your team that you're associated with, Hampton and Richmond Borough, big news out of there over the last 24 hours. Yeah, um, sort of sadly, Gary McCann um, and, and Hampton and Richmond Borough parted ways this morning. Um, I think it's it's really sad to see Gary being a massive part of the club for the uh, best part of four seasons now um, and has done a lot of good work. I think the when you look back on it, the, the work he put in at the club, particularly during the COVID season, was uh, phenomenal. Um, the amount of work and the quality of work he did at the club then. Um, and I think it's it, it's a bit of a sliding doors thing because when you look at the season that was cancelled for um, for COVID, Hampton were charging up the table, looking an absolute shoo-in for the playoffs. And then it got, got cancelled and they missed out by something like 0.2 of a point. Uh, on the playoffs, and, and and but for that, if 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 the season had even lasted one more match, and and they they've got the win that they probably would have got, then things could look very different. Uh, also, he 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 goes out the door responsible for two of Hampton. Hampton have been in existence for 101 years. He goes out out of the building responsible for two of their four um, FA Cup uh, FA Cup proper campaigns, um, which is a remarkable record in in four years. Um, but Sadly, I think with the change of ownership at Hampton, they were left with. We are in trouble this season. There's no two ways about it. We're like right down in the mix. I think there's uh, we're joint on points with the relegation zone now, um, and they were left with what I what I think is probably a difficult choice. With which is either do you come in and back Gary McCann to turn it around and 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 give him the resources to change to turn the squad around, or do you think that that we need you know a, a new person in and to give that resource to them. And I think um, 2022 has been a really difficult year for Hampton. Um, we've picked up 50 points from 132 on the table uh, in this calendar year. And that, and that simply is, I think, what has, what has helped them towards their decision. It is really sad. Uh, and one thing I would say as well is, is the luck with injuries that, that Gary McCann and their team have had this year has been absolutely atrocious. Um, they, you know, There's a lot of faith put in the likes of Louis Fernandez, who's a fantastic centre-back. Um, Brandon Barzi, who's one of the most exciting wingers in the division. Um, and I think between them, they've been fit for eight matches this season. You know, Hampton have gone into games in the last last month, particularly with sort of eight, nine players fit um, and the rest of the squad bolstered with with academy players. And it's just, it, it, it's been very difficult. So um, it is a shame, but, you know, I think they've, they've appointed, well, not appointed, but put Steve Bates, who's the academy manager, in an interim management position until uh, well, until they find their permanent appointment. Um, Steve will be like in the dugout for the Hemel game on Saturday, who, of course, also have just changed their manager. Um, uh, Mark Jones has gone out the door um, after after Boxing Day, or just before Boxing Day, I think, and they've appointed Bradley Quinton, which could be a really astute appointment at this level. Um, I mean, at Hampton, we know all about Bradley Quinton. He won promotion with his Braintree side at the Bev. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting week, I think, and and there'll be I think there'll be a lot of eyes on um, on the fixture 
uh, in Hamel next week. Um, I think the last set, thing I'd say on that is it's really tight at the bottom. Um, we talk, I talked earlier about there's always that one team who charge up the table. Um, Chesson have really started to pick up points in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, Weymouth appear to have, appear to have some, some resource available to Bobby Wilkinson now. I think people will expect them to pick up points. Um, it's going to start getting very, very competitive at the bottom end of the division very quickly. Um, so whoever does come in for Hampton permanently is going to have to hit the ground running. Well, Hampton just, uh, they're out of the relegation go- zone on goal difference, as you say. Chesson have had a remarkable couple of weeks, haven't they? They beat Ebbsfleet, they beat Concord on Boxing Day, and they got a point against Concord as well, didn't they? And they are, I suppose, I know it's only three or four games, but they are the form team at the minute in that bottom four or five, aren't they? Absolutely. If you look back over the last uh, 10 games, Chesson are 11th in the form table. Uh, but when you cut that down to the last six matches, Chesson are actually fifth in the form table. They haven't lost since the 26th of November. Um, in that time, they've beaten uh, Dartford. Sorry, no, not Dartford. They've beaten Dover. They've beaten Ebbsfleet. They've beaten Concord. Uh, you know, they took four points from a possible six against Concord, who are right in and around the relegation mix with the, with them, with us, with with all the teams down the bottom. Um, and they they really seem to have improved dramatically over the last two three months. Um, there are teams down the bottom who who are not managing to turn their form around at the moment. Hampton are one of those. Hungerford are another. I think Hungerford picked up five points in the last 10 matches. Um, Chippenham have picked up one more than that. So there are teams who are really struggling uh, down, at the, down at the wrong end of the table. Um, and, and another team who are really struggling for form, which I'm sure we'll talk about, are Ebbsfleet, um, who haven't won since they, or haven't picked up a point since they put six past Worthing um, on the 6th of December. Yeah, it's kind of unravelled a little bit for Ebsley. I mean, Dartford have had a brilliant Christmas, haven't they? They're well clear at the top, although they've got three, they've played three games more than Ebsley. Um, it feels like Ebsley maybe need a little reset, don't they? The FA Cup seems to have taken a lot out of them. Yeah, it does. And 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 what's interesting, I don't think they seem to be missing that many players. I've looked through their squad from last week. I can't see Ben Chapman in there, and I think he's a big part of how they play out from the back. Um, but... They've conceded 13 goals and scored one in the last four matches. And for a side that won every game for about the first three months of the season, that is just a, an apocalyptic drop-off in form. Um, I do think they will turn it around. I do still think that their squad is the strongest in the division. Um, I, Dartford, I, I just I can't get my head around what Alan Dowson is doing at Dartford. It's, it's remarkable. Um, the team that they built should have been good about six years ago. Um, you know, they, they built a team to challenge for the National League South promotion with like of Alex Wall and Charlie Sheringham, but it would have been challenging for promotion in 2018. Um, the fact that he's got that that group of players who are who I don't think are the strongest group of players in the league. I think Ebsfleet are very, very good. I think Haven't have got a very strong side, particularly in the final third. Um, the fact that he's got that Dartford team playing so well and not only being so hard to beat, but they're scoring a lot of goals as well. They've put eight past Ebsfleet in two matches. Um it's really testament to, I mean, just what a good manager Alan Dowson is. Um, but I don't think that's a surprise to many people who watch National League South. Just a quickie on that, those top two in the National League South. I've been getting deja vu on this. Am I right in thinking about four seasons ago, roughly four or five seasons ago, went right to the wire, those two, didn't it? Dartford and Avent. It Dartford did. Led for so much of it and they've, and they went into the playoffs absolutely shattered, didn't they? Because they finished. It did. 
it went right to the last day of the season and Jason Pryor scored a winner for Haven. I can't remember where they were playing. Um, but Dartford drew against Bognor Regis Town um, and Tony Berman, who'd been Dartford manager for about 45 years, I think. He quit on the day um, or, or quit at the end of the season. And it, it it was really, really hard pill to swallow for Dartford that final day. Um, I, yeah, I remember that very clearly. I was down at Bognor Regis for that. And I remember speaking to Tony Berman after the game and he was just shell-shocked is, is the only word I can use to describe it. But, um, you know, they they had the sort of Steve King experiment, which I don't think, you know, Dartford are a real community club and, and Steve King as a manager has always been very first-team focused. Um, it never felt like a good fit. Whereas Alan Dowson is, you know, we remember from his time at Hampton and he was the same at Woking. He's a real community manager. He wants to see the fans, the club, the squad all sort of in it together. Um, and that's something that really, uh, it, I think, will appeal to the Dartford fan base. Um, and he is just a very effective football manager as well. In second, as we mentioned, I haven't. And they won at Eastbourne Borough. But bit of a funny side. They seem quite inconsistent despite him being second. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. Um, you know, even if you just look back over the last sort of... Um, month or two they've sort of you know one two or three then dropped points in two then one one then dropped points in two um they are an inconsistent side um they've got they've got real real firepower though um in this to, to be playing step two football with jason Pryor, um danny wright tommy wright james roberts mo Fowl, all scoring um and somehow managing to find pitch time for all of them as well is is remarkable um they they've got some firepower in that team, um, and and they're probably where they should be. Has he got too many eggs? Do you think to put in his basket at times? It, it is possible. It is possible, and you know, haven't had a really solid defense last season. Um, they were very hard to score against. They haven't been as difficult to score against this season. Um, when they played against Hampton earlier in the year, they, they they didn't seem as fluid as they did last year. They they were more reliant on sort of the actual ability of, of the likes of James Roberts to unlock things in the final third. And, and what a player he is, by the way. Um, the pace of Mo Fowl, um, the finishing of Jason Pryor, but whereas before they were a very effective team unit, um, maybe not quite so much. Maybe they have gone a bit bit not like nationally South Galacticos on us, but, um, you know, they are, they are a good side and I think they're probably quite fun to watch as well. Um, I'll tell you what, Tom, Chelmsford are a remarkable story, aren't they? Considering the sort of turmoil at the start of the season, Franz threatening to boycott. They're in fourth. They've only conceded 19 goals this season as well. Yeah, it's it's incredible. What a job um Robbie Simpson is doing there. Um and they're still they're still augmenting the squad. I see they brought in Reese Grant from Dover a couple of weeks ago. He scored two and two. They've just signed Arjunit Krasniki, who was a really good player at Braintree last season. Um very good, very good midfielder. Um, I think they're doing they're doing exceptionally well. They are aided by the fact they have some some really quality defenders in that group. Um, they're clearly well set up. You don't concede any nine teams without being so. But um, Adi Aluo is a is a defender that's really impressed me when I've seen him. Um, got a lot of attributes to go higher up higher up the pyramid. Um, Cameron James is another very good defender at this level. Um, they've brought in John Terry's nephew on loan from Colchester, Frankie Terry. Um, so they have got some. They've got some decent players at the back there, um, and then they've yeah they've got a little bit of star quality um, across the rest of the team as well. I like sort of uh, Samson Eason that they brought in from um, from Maidenhead on loan. 
Um, Harry Ludovica has done really well for them since he's come in. Um, they're, they're an interesting side. I, I certainly didn't expect them to be where they are. Um, they're actually the last team that Hampton beat as well. Um, beat uh, Chelmsford, I think, on the 26th of November away. Um, and that's the last victory that we got. But um, yeah, they're quite they're, they're quite an interesting side. Um, I don't think there's many people who are expecting to be who they were. I think one of the other things which I found really interesting in the last few weeks is that Sean Jeffers, who who took about a month and a half for his season to get started, is right back where you expect to see him at, at the top of the goal scorers charts with 18. Yeah, funny you mention him. From St Albans downwards down to Braintree ninth. Uh, that's from fifth to ninth. That's five points. So we're getting quite tight in that playoff places, but. Again, fifth, sixth, and seventh seem quite inconsistent. You'll see, like St. Albans have had a couple of good results recently, and then they'll get like battered four, four, one at home by someone you don't expect them to. Yeah, and I mean, so it's really weird. So we played St. Albans, uh, I think, about a month ago, and they beat, they won six nil against Hampton uh, at, at Beverly Stadium, um, which is the worst league defeat that Hampton have ever had at home, um, and everything they touched that day turned to gold. I think they had seven shots and scored six of them and, and they weren't keeping mistakes. They were unsavable. Everything they did was perfect. But then, as you say, the next week they might go and lose 4-0. Um, really inconsistent. I think of those three sides, the best the, the best side that I've seen are Worthing. Uh, I think they, they play some really nice football. They're very strong. And they're in sixth. Have they surprised you or not? Um... No, the, everything they've done at that club is 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 excellent, really. I, I remember going to see them play against Lewis, and it's a local rivalry, but I remember seeing them going to play against Lewis in uh, about 2018 in Step 3, and they had nearly 3,000 people in. Um, you know, that, that that is a club that is going places. They've got a really good footballing side. Um, they've got, you know, an excellent manager in Adam Hinshelwood. I'm, I'm not... I'm not too shocked to see them doing well, maybe as well as they are. Um, but I certainly didn't expect to see them in the bottom half of the table this season. So Eastbourne are in the last Eastbourne are in the last playoff place. You've got Oxford City, Braintree. Can someone like Tombridge even gate crash the playoffs, you think? I mean, they've done very well. Jane Saunders was a bit of an eye eyebrow raising appointment, not been at a club for a couple of years. They just put down the 4G, and that seems to have benefited them, doesn't it? Yeah, it does seem to have benefited them. I think they they had a lot of disruption from games being called off in the past. They really struggled for drainage at Tunbridge. Um, their their pitch is lovely. Um, it's I, I don't I don't see them holding that position in the league. To be honest, I think I, I just I always think I always think goal difference is a good indicator of where you actually truly gonna gonna land and, and their goal difference would put them somewhere sort of lower lower mid table. And I think that's probably a, a stronger indicator of where they are likely to finish. Um Eastbourne have done it again. That they're, they're so good. They they seem to really work the loan market well. Not with short term loans, but with long term loans. Um they did yeah. with Charlie Kendall, they brought him on loan and, and he did really well from QPR. They've done it again with Jake Hutchinson this season from Colchester. Um, and Jay Hutchinson's having a great season. I think he's um, joint third top scorer with twelve. Um, and, and then around those loanies, they don't really change much. Um, I think partially that is is forced upon them because of where they are in the country. It's a, it's a long way to Eastbourne. There's, I, I imagine it's quite it's quite hard to sell that as a commute to people. Um, but the squad's pretty consistent. But they're really good at just dropping in a couple of quality players and and also a word for Shiloh Remy, who's been excellent this season. 
um, since signing from from QPR in the summer. Down at the bottom, as we mentioned, it's really tight. You've got Chesson in the last playoff play in the last relegation place in twenty third, and then there's only five points up to Dulwich in fourteenth. Now Hungerford had ten points adrift in last place. We always say they're punching above the weight. Would you say they and Weymouth have gone, and then it's from Chippen and maybe all the way up to Dulwich? So, so I think that I think Hungerford, it's going to be really hard for Hungerford to pull it back this season. Um, yeah, I just I just can't see it happening. I think this this season was a bridge too far for them. Um, Weymouth, I'm not so sure on. They they did a bit of business over the summer over the Christmas period, um, which sort of indicated that maybe they maybe their days of being totally broken are behind them. Um, when you look back over, I know they didn't have a good Christmas period. They lost to Taunton, they lost to Dulwich, but before that they picked up. Um, 13 points from five games um four wins and a, and a draw in five matches i think i think weymouth are probably I, I would expect them to turn it around they that they've also got a good manager in bobby wilkinson like he 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 is good at what he does um chippenham are it's hard to see them being able to bolster what they need to 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 improve they they were probably the worst side that i've seen this season um it's like very, very stodgy. Um, but Chesnut, yeah, Ch- Chesnut are the big improvers for me. I think Slough, you, you would look at Slough and potentially worry. Um, they, they've lost two excellent managers in in uh, Neil Baker and John Underwood. They've brought in Scott Davies. Uh, they've appointed him permanently now. Scott Davies is an excellent football man, as we know. Um, I have... 100% confidence that he, well, A, I, I know that he's doing a good job at Slough now and he will go on and do good jobs at other clubs in the future and be a very effective football manager. I just think that with the, with the budgetary constraints that they have in the club at the moment, it might be quite hard to to turn their, to turn them around. Um, and then, of course, you've got to talk about Hampton as well. Hampton are absolutely, absolutely in the mix for relegation this season. Um, I think the, the thing which I would say of Hampton is the squad is there. Um, if they can get the players fit, um, and get playing and get, and get them sort of get get the confidence back up. Then, then I would expect them to pull clear. Um, and obviously, you've got Taunton, who've got a million games in hand on everyone as well, haven't they? Yeah, and again, it's similar to what um, sort of said at the at the start of the season on Taunton. I think Taunton are just a, they're just a solid side, uh, a solid club. I think they they would come up. I'd expect to see them pitching around mid table, lower mid table, but not really be relegation threatened. Um, their side has changed very little from the side that they had, which was excellent at step three last season. Um, I doubt it will change much in the summer again. They, they're good at what they do there. We're going to look at the National League North and an eventful, if unsavoury, game at times uh, up at the Flamingoland Stadium, which saw Darlington go top. Uh, so it was an eventful day on and off the field. Yes, it was. Yeah, Brackley had had gone to the top um, um, with a a 1-0 win yesterday, which we'll come to. But Darlington retook top spot today with an absolutely thumping 5-2 win over Scarborough. I know Scarborough are very proud of their unbeaten home record. I think it was over a year um, that they'd been unbeaten at home before Chester went there and won before Christmas. And and yeah, now they've been breached again by Darlington. Over 3,000 people there today, a fantastic crowd, but it does sound as if they've been let down um, by fans of both sides, I have to be honest with you. Yeah, it it finished, um, i say, uh, 5-2. Darlington had gone into a 3-0 lead 
um, by you know partway through the second half. I'm just looking at the scorers here. I think Beck, Mark Beck was on target with one of them. Jacob Hazel um, uh, had got the second goal. Hazel then scored again in the 54th minute, and that's where the the, the problem started really. I think there was some suggestion that possibly there was a handball involved in in the goal, but nothing was called. Um, and then referee Dean Watson went over to speak to his assistant, Emily Carney. Um, she told him um, that obviously there'd been remarks aimed from the crowd, either at, at her or of, of some nature. We, we think it was aimed at her. Um, and Dean Watson decided to take the players off the field. So the players were off the field. Um, they were gone for quite some time, something close to half an hour. Um, and when they did come back, um, Beck scored again. Uh, Jack Lambert got his customary goal. 5-0 Darlington up by that point. Michael Coulson got two goals back very late in uh, the game for Scarborough, one from the penalty spot. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a terrible shame because, I mean, these two shared a, a 3-2, a ding-dong game on Boxing Day. It's in some senses, it's as kind of a super rivalry that's that's building up in that part of the country, you know. But it, it, it's clearly gone too far today. Yeah, as you mentioned, Brackley still a fantastic job. Roger Johnson's doing, and we mentioned it was a midday kickoff last week. It was a midday kickoff again on New Year's Day, and it was the away fans who were celebrating. Yes, it was. You didn't get um, to um, stay in bed too long or nursing a hangover on New Year's Day if you're a fan of either of those teams. Uh, and yeah, a 1-0 win for Brackley Town yesterday, secured by a 78th-minute goal from Levi Amanchi. He is a player that I remember from, from Blythe Spartans. I think he played in National League South last season. I can't quite yeah, remember. He's been at Concord and Braintree over the last couple of seasons. I That's think he's it, yeah. And... Braintree. I knew he'd played in the South. Yeah, he's he's wound up at Brackley Town. Um, he scored the winner yesterday, and then, yeah, Giorgio Rasulo, the uh, Banbury captain. He's a, he's a big important figure there. He was sent off in the 89th minute. Um, I don't know what the nature of that was, but you know, when you look at it, you, you figure there's probably some frustration involved. Um, and yeah, he's facing um, missing some games ahead for for Banbury now. The Ian Culverhouse derby uh, meant. It's another defeat for Boston, and that meant Kingsling hang on to the coattails. Yeah, Kingsling, one of only two teams to actually take maximum points from the two games on Boxing Day and New Year's Day, doing um, Boston United both home and away. Um, Ollie Scott got them um, off and running yesterday, a goal in the 11th minute. They were 2 0 up by half time. <clears throat> Adam Crowther on target. We had a sending off in this game. Um, it was uh, this mission of Aaron Jones, the Kingsland uh, centre half. I've seen the incident. I know uh, Stephen Cleave, the uh, Kingsland chairman, went on to Twitter last night uh, calling out um, the officials for, for the way they'd handled this one. Um, <clears throat> Jones came together with Jake Wright, the, the, the Boston forward. Wright stayed on the floor. Uh, Jones was dismissed, um, given a, a straight red card for what we assume the referee thought was violent conduct. There's been some debate over uh, over whether it was violent conduct and uh, say Mr. Cleave leading those arguments. I'm not sure doing it through Twitter is really the best way for a chairman to do it. But He went a bit Judge Rinder, what... didn't he, on the Twitter last night? Yes, I'm afraid so. We know that, that Stephen Cleave is, is, you know, does tend to do this through Twitter. Um, I, I, it's not a great look for the club, but uh, having said that, Stephen Cleek doesn't seem to care, to be perfectly honest. Um, 
yeah, there was a goal back late in the game for Trey Mitford for Boston. He's just joined them from Gloucester, um, having left them. Um, but yeah, um, home and away victories for Kings Lynn, which keep them um, very nicely tucked in behind the leaders. Talking of cards, there was plenty. The diva wasn't there. Chester stayed fourth, just about in the end. <clears throat> yes, they did. Um, there were two. Uh, red cards and they were both for uh, the team I was there following AFC Telford United Telford almost got their first away league victory in two years yesterday Um, they were pegged back by a goal from substitute Joe Lynch in injury time seven minutes of injury time added Um, some of that I have to say was down to to Telford trying to um, slow you know, the play down, um, given the position that they're in, Kevin Wilkin, the manager, said, you know, he wasn't going to be too apologetic about that, that, you know, it's about getting points on the board and and, and it wasn't the way that he would want to play necessarily, but, you know, um, Telford have got a lot of injury problems as well, so it kind of forced his hand. Um, Montel Gibson was sent off in the 65th minute for Telford. That was a straight red um, given for uh, catching Alex Brown, the Chester fullback with a stray arm whether it was deliberate or not and we're not sure but it, it was given adam senior he's on loan for wanderers he'd already picked up a, a yellow card for telford he was dismissed with just three minutes left um a basically moment, take, as i called it it was a senior well yeah i mean he, he just basically took too long over a throw in um and referee Dane McCarrick just came over, decided he'd seen enough, um, pointed, I think, at two other places where he alleged that Senior had done something similar uh, and showed him a yellow card. Whether it was at that point, he realised he'd already given him a yellow card and he had to see red. Telford down to nine by that point, And that's when Lynch's equaliser came. Harry Flowers had put Telford ahead in the 27th minute. And they, they were actually, they were fairly good value for, for being in front. I thought they nullified um Chester to a large extent. Yes, some of the tactics were, were 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 partly responsible for that, but Chester didn't show an awful lot, uh, and it and it took a deflected goal from Lynch to get them a point in the end. Are you seeing? Are you seeing little shoots, Dicky? Can can Steve McQueen get his bike fired up? <laughs> it's um, it, it's look, um, it's this is it's going to be um a really tough challenge for Telford to get out of the situation that they're in. Um, two points over Christmas, you look and you think, you know, you'd, you'd you'd want more than that. But I guess when you look at who those points came against, a Chester team who've been in absolutely terrific form in this league, you've got to look at that if you're a, a Telford follower and feel that, yeah, you can be disappointed about yesterday, but there is some some hope and some promise there. Um, I, I mentioned Flowers there with the goal. He's been outstanding the last couple of games, more like the, the player Telford thought they were signing when they brought him in. Um, and yeah, I do think Kevin Wilkin is getting the team to be more the way he, he, he wants and expects the team to be in this league if you're going to be competitive. But uh, yeah, I, Telford are improving, but it is a case of whether they will improve in time. Filed are in sixth. They bounced back, didn't they? Uh, they lost at home to Charlie on Boxing Day, uh, and it was roles reversed on New Year's Day. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was a very, very late goal from uh, Alex Whitmore, the filed skipper, scoring in the second minute of injury time, um, which meant that they got revenge for a two-one home defeat on Boxing Day. Um, and you know that 
Lancashire Derby. I'm not sure that there's a, a huge rivalry between the two clubs, but yeah, I mean, in terms of Files' ambitions for for promotion, I think it was really important they they got back on track with something they wouldn't have wanted to pick up just a single point from those two games over Christmas. So, uh, Whitmore's goal very handy for them. And we talk about tight playoff races. It's it's no different in the north. And again, it's um, big credit with the. Uh, having playoffs down to seventh place that you've got from Southport in eighth down to Kidderminster in 12th, just four points separating them. Yeah, it it is very open um, in in the uh, the National League North at the moment. As I say, you mentioned Southport there. They played today. They were one day with the other fixture in National League North today. Um, they had a 2-1 win over Curtis Nashton, two goals from Jordan Archer in the first half, 22nd and 38th minute. Um there was a goal back from the penalty spot for Sam Walker for Curzon in the sector half, but then Connor DiMaio was sent off deep into injury time. Probably the damage already done by that point, because I'm not I'm not sure that DiMaio sending off has really changed um, the way that game was heading. But again, it's one of those things he's going to miss games in future, which I um, can't imagine that Adam Lakeland is particularly thrilled about. Um, Kidderminster Harry, as you mentioned there, they had a, a one-all draw yesterday with Hereford. Um, just calling up the scorers here. Yeah, Mari Morgan-Smith on target for Kidderminster, um, but then an equaliser from Levi Ando in the uh, second half. I think that was on his Hereford debut as well. So uh, a, a, a nice start for him um, in front of the Hereford fans. Another big crowd there yesterday as well. Um, I think that Hereford-Worcestershire derby um, is one very much that the fans look forward to over Christmas. Yeah, down at the bottom... Um... I say Curzon surprisingly down there. And I say surprisingly, everyone looks up and thinks of him being a small club and he should be down there. But considering they've punched above the weight, it is a bit of a surprise. But also down there, Boston, as we mentioned, they'd lost at Kingsland. Buxton could only draw at home with Alverton nil-nil. But none of the bottom four won, did they? No, they didn't. No, it was, uh, two of them played one another in Farsley against uh, Bradford Park Avenue. This was a one o'clock kickoff. Uh, Jordan Preston got Bradford on the board in this one um, on the 19th minute. Luke Parkin and then a Frank Mulhern penalty had uh, Farsley 2-1 up before half time, And it was not looking great for Bradford as well because they'd had uh, Rhys Staunton sent off really late um, in the uh, the. the the first half so they were up against it but I've mentioned his name several times on here um, Jacob Blythe and another really really important goal for Bradford equalising a minute into the second half and the 10 men then held on for a, a very valuable point Yeah Kettering didn't play their game against Peter Sports was called off and and you mentioned a Blythe there another Blythe they went down at Spennymore after taking the lead as well yeah, they did. Isaac Walker had them in front after just eight minutes um, in in their game at the the brewery field, but uh, it was turned around by goals from Reese Kendall and then Rob Ramshaw in the second half for Spennymore. They were the other only team to pick up a maximum six points from the Christmas and New Year fixtures, um, and yeah, Blythe. It remained in the bottom four. Telford have closed the gap on them just a little bit with collecting two points over Christmas. And, I, you know, I, I do look at this from a Telford perspective, clearly. I, I think probably their first task is to maybe just try and reel Blythe in first and, and get one place above them and then see what they can do. I mean, Blythe's form um, isn't great. They've got to come to Telford yet. Um, those These games against one another at the bottom of the league are, are going to be all important. 
Yeah, and the final game um, involved Gloucester and Leamington. It was a 1-1 draw, but it was more events off the field for Gloucester this week. There's been big news, hasn't there? Yes, there has. Yeah, Chairman Alex Petherham um, has announced his intention to to step down as chairman um, of the football club. Um, I, I believe he and Eamon McGurk, who are essentially the people who've, who brought Gloucester back home to New Meadow Park and provided a lot of the finance for the building of the new stadium, um, are going to remain as the owners of the stadium, but um, are act- actively seeking somebody to take over as the the owners of the football club and the chairman of the football club to run it. Um, what this will mean for Gloucester going forward, um, I'm not quite sure. Uh, they don't seem to be able to have any period of sustained um, stability at Gloucester. Obviously, they were without ground for such a long time. And Alex Petherham deserves a huge amount of credit for taking them um, back into the city. But I think his plans for that were wrecked by COVID, really. They'd made major investments in the team. Um, they'd started the season that was ultimately then had a line drawn under it because of COVID. Um, they were they were roaring away at the top of the division. Um, and, you know, you just thought to yourself, if if they could just get the fans in to actually see this, then, 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 then Gloucester could really be heading in the right direction. But um, fans weren't allowed then the season finished. Um, obviously, there was a lot of um, issues around that one. I think Alex Petherin was very critical of the fact that the National League even just stopped. Obviously, having made the level of investment he had, he wanted it to carry on because you have to imagine that you know they'd taken a bit of a gamble on it. And, and, and they lost James Rowe, of course, didn't they? They did lose James Rowe. That was another blow to them. And of course, with the players that then departed the club, ultimately following James Rowe to, to Chesterfield, um, <clears throat> that that was, you know, it's been, it's always eventful at Gloucester, but, you know, it's, it's, they just, uh, just a period of stability would be good for them, I think, at the moment. Back to the results um, and what happened on the field yesterday, they did get a point against Leamington. They took the lead with a goal through Mark McClure in a 34th minute, but Adam Walker uh, got Leamington back into it in the 77th, so uh, it finished with honours even. Well, well Dickie, that is it. Um, we will speak to you again at the weekend, and uh, thanks for joining us. No, you're very welcome. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining us, Rob. Yeah, pleasure as always. Great to see you, Tom. Take care. Happy New Year, everyone. Tom, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. That is it. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at NL Full Time. And it's the same on Instagram. And make sure you give us a follow and a like. We will see you all at the weekend and have a great week.